Mic check. One, two, one, two. Yo, what's up, man? Is this thing on? <laughs> We're the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting, your weekly source for podcast news, tips, and tricks. From production to promotion and everything in between. I'm John Luckenball. And I'm Matthew Stevens. Two podcast experts ready to help you every Wednesday. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting. As always, I am your co-host, Matthew Stevens, joined by Queued Up founder, John Luckenball. How you doing, John? Matt, good to see you again today, man. I'm doing well. Yourself? You know, I'm hanging in there. I, I'm uh, weather's warming up. I'm warming up. It's uh, we're 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 getting to it, man. So one thing that we touched on last week that we were going to get into a little bit more this week was PodTrack reports. iHeart remained the biggest podcast publisher in April. Barstool moves into the top five. Now it's interesting. According to PodTrack, iHeart Radio had a U.S. Unique monthly audience, so people just in the United States, of 26,866,000 people. That's a, a pretty large audience. And a global downloads and stream of, now we're going to keep this one a little bit more basic, it's just under 251 million. Now that's just a... Uh, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, those are those are pretty spectacular numbers. And again, you know, we, we've talked about this a few times that that as we start to see those types of numbers rival other forms of media, money is going to come into it. That type of stuff will trickle down to the independent podcasters uh, as it goes along. But 251 million downloads in April is pretty fantastic. And that is uh, leaps and bounds ahead of number two, which is NPR, who had 20 and a half million for us and roughly about 179 million on the global downloads and streams. That's pretty impressive, man. It is. I mean, right away, I see the biggest, I mean, other than the, the audience numbers, I see a big difference in active shows, though. So your iHeartRadio has 557 compared to NPR's 47. So Yes, yes. It, it, and it's, it's interesting that you note that. I mean, iHeart, certainly the largest number by far, but with that 557 active shows, you're looking at an average of only about 48,000 uh, U.S. listeners in April, and then 450 and some change global. Again, still large numbers, but all of a sudden, U.S. average iHeartRadio per show is in the bottom three, according to this, not number one. In the average global, they are number seven, seventh lowest. So again, some of this, you know, Jay always talked about it, John. I know you always talked about it. It's important to note some of those numbers that that it's easy to go, hey, we've got you know 200 million uh, listens spread over 200 million shows. All of a sudden, isn't nearly as impressive as it is with one. In comparison, so your NPR with your 179 million downloads over 47 shows, you're looking at just under 4 million downloads per show. Now, to me, that's a little bit more impressive than a couple hundred thousand. I mean, a couple hundred thousand is nice too, but. Yeah. I mean, comparatively, it's not close. Exactly. I mean, NPR, when it comes to the U.S. average, is the fourth highest. Uh, again, 47 shows split over that. 437,000 U.S. in April. Uh, and then, like you said, 3.8 for the average global. 
more importantly, John, when you, when you boil that all down, this American life is killing it. That is what I was going to say. I mean, one show, 10,613,000 downloads and streams for the month of April. Plus, aren't they part of iHeartRadio now? So, <laughs> yeah, this this list has some other issues aside from uh, maybe focusing on the total audience and not the average. One of that is, yeah, this American Life was was certainly just recently acquired. So you'd think that would calculate into the other total, but they have this one separate. I'm not entirely sure why that's the case, but it is important to note that maybe all of these numbers aren't dead on accurate. Just because as acquisitions start to happen, it's hard to keep track of all those things and, and to calculate those accordingly. But um, This American Life is doing great, and you can understand why they were acquired for, for what they were when you start seeing those numbers. And again, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else. Daily Wire would be number two for the average U.S. Uh, and number three for the average global and they nowhere close to this American life. Um, again, Daily Wire is six hundred ninety-five thousand and some change for the average U.S. A little over six million for the average global. This American life is just shy of three million and ten point six million, respectively. So, just leaping above everyone else when it comes to that. There's another thing here that PodTrack has showed the top ten publisher ranking in April two thousand sixteen versus April twenty twenty one. Just to see some of these numbers, the average global downloads of the top 10 publishers in April 2016 was 168,892 compared to in April of 2021, which is 883,159, a 423% change. So that kind of just shows you how much podcast has grown over even just the last five years. We talk about these things as large networks and, and, you know, chances are, if you're listening, you're not a part of a large network. You're an independent person trying to do your own thing. But that stuff correlates right down to you as well. I mean, five years ago, your audience, chances are, was about 400% less than what it is right now. Uh, and as we see that growth in those large networks, that stuff does trickle down to independence. And, and you know, we'll see exactly how much over time, but the growth is certainly there. It's a good measuring stick to put your own podcast up against. When you start, again, talking about those averages and those increases, you know, track your stuff over time and you can see how you're performing and how your specific podcast is growing or, or, or stagnating in some cases that then allows you to change things around if you need to or double down on the things that are working. The CEO of iHeart, uh, Bob Pittman, said that his broadcast radio reach acts as a megaphone to promote their podcast like no other company can. So. They have this big broadcast radio conglomerate. How can indie podcasters translate this radio conglomerate into what they're doing? Obviously, they don't have the reach and the the broadcasting power that a that a radio station has. I think that's something that we can get into with Aereo. Yeah, absolutely, and that's a, a great segue, John, into our amazing guest, Ariel Nissenblatt. Uh, she is the founder of Earbuds Collective, the co-creator of the Outlier Podfest, and co-host of Counter Programming, the community manager of Squadcast and Podcast Taxonomy. That is a mouthful. You do a lot, Ariel. Uh, welcome to the show. It's awesome to have you. 
Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about what independent podcasters can do to uh, increase their discoverability, to increase their downloads, just to make themselves more well-known across the board. And iHeartRadio remained the biggest podcast publisher in April. PodTrack says iHeartRadio had the biggest audience and the most streams and downloads of any of the publishers it measured in April. That's well and good. Certainly iHeart has a radio syndication. They're, they're big players. They're a giant network for your average independent podcaster, which I think is really the bulk of podcasters as a whole. Don't quite have that network to be able to lean on. What are some things that independent podcasters can do to kind of grow their audience, Ariel? It's getting harder and harder out there. And I think this notion that anybody can, from their basement, start a podcast. And if they play their cards right, it could potentially be in the top charts. I don't think that's really true anymore. I think there's a lot more that goes into it and a lot of very high quality content that comes from studios, comes from Hollywood adjacent type people or Hollywood people. And that's kind of the stuff that with name recognition and marketing dollars is going to go to the top. However, independent podcasters can still make a big impact, whether it's within their communities or even much larger communities by doing some tried and true tactics that I will now outline. <laughs> so, I mean, these are obviously not surefire, but I, I really advocate for independent podcasters early on getting in with some promo swaps. And that means finding podcasts that have similar topics to them, similar demographics to them, maybe in a different area of the country, maybe in a different area of the world, creating connections with the hosts, but not just Twitter connections, not just, hey, promote my show. Instead, hey, let's have a phone call. Let's learn about each other. What does your audience want? What does my audience want? Let's see how we can achieve that together for our audiences. Maybe that means going on each other's shows as guest hosts. Maybe that means doing a feed drop. Maybe that means doing a promo swap, like I said, meaning that the host of the show that you are promo swapping with would say, hey, before our show gets started, we want to tell you about another show we think you're going to love. It's the Queued Up show. And the Queued Up show is all about podcasting, blah, 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 blah. And then they would do the same for you. I think that podcasters by nature are collaborative and we really need to take advantage of that because listeners are ready to listen to podcasts recommended by the people that they trust. And those are podcasters. So that's, that's one of the tactics. It's something that I think is easy in theory, but as you kind of hinted at Ariel, you can't just, you know, hit somebody up on Twitter and go, Hey bud, we're going to go ahead and do this thing. Let's merge. It's so easy. And you see this a lot, especially on Instagram of people that'll kind of reach out to you and, Hey, we yeah. want to do a million different things together. And it's like, I don't know who no. you are. I <laughs> you need to be strategic about it. There's again, so many podcasts. Some are complete garbage, just to be honest. Some are <laughs> lovely and wonderful and they have the right intention, but they don't have great recording practices or great tactics. And then there's a huge number that are amazing, but are not getting the recognition that they deserve. And folks that really want to take advantage of this collaborative nature of podcasting need to be willing to spend more time researching podcasts that are similar, like I said, in demographics and similar in topics and putting the time into not just copy paste a message to 60 of those podcasts, but instead 
choosing five or six that makes sense, messaging them genuinely and personalizing the message to say, hey, I've been following your podcast, haven't listened to too many episodes, but I really like your style. I think that our audiences are similar and that we could benefit from working together. Fine. Then you chat offline and figure out what that means. Figure out if that means me coming on to guest host. Figure out if that means just some social swaps. You never know. It's something I know we preach a lot with our clients as well of you can only have so big of a megaphone. You want to get in front of eyes and ears that you don't already know about you. It's easy to put some market to the people that are already listening, but that doesn't necessarily always increase your discoverability. It doesn't always increase the number of downloads, which is you know one of the large metrics for a lot of people. Um, so like you mentioned, you know, getting out in front of other people that are in, in similar demographics, maybe not a one-to-one and grabbing some of that audience. One of the questions that I see most often on all the different Facebook groups that are about podcasts, which is my entire Facebook feed at this point, like I, nothing else is on my Facebook homepage except for questions in podcast groups. It's nuts. But one of the most common questions is I'm thinking of creating social media handles for my podcast. Where should I spend most of my time? And a lot of people have a lot of opinions on that. But I think you really should not be spending that much time on your social media. I think social media is great for your already existing audience. But if you don't already have an existing audience, yes, I believe you should have one or two handles. Maybe it's Twitter. Maybe it's Instagram. Decide where you want to put your creative energy. But those posts that you post there should be, you should not expect those posts to drive so much new audience. That's kind of just a reminder for your already existing audience or your slowly growing audience that you have a new episode out today, right? But social media does not convert because when people are scrolling through social media, that's exactly what they're doing. They're scrolling through social media. They're not thinking, oh, I'm going to go to social media to find a podcast to check out. And then I'm going to navigate from this app to another app and then press download, press the search button, blah, blah, blah. They don't want to do that. However, where indie podcasters can get way more impact is by catching potential listeners where they are, which is on the podcast apps. Yes. I worked for CastBox for a while, which is not Apple, not Spotify, not Spreak. You know, it's one of one of the third party podcast listening apps. Um, I did in-app curation. And let me tell you this now, a lot of people think it's algorithmically based behind these apps. And to a certain extent, there are algorithms going on when it comes to which podcasts show up on the homepage or on the carousels. But not so big of a secret, a lot of people are behind the curation. And you can reach those people and you can pitch them your podcast and you can pitch them a list of podcasts that maybe has your podcast and a friend's podcast in there. So with CastBox, for example, we would often run featured lists based on an upcoming holiday. And why, why do we want to do that as a third-party podcast listening app? We want to do that because we need you as a listener to have a reason to use us rather than Spotify or Apple. So we're making a bet on curation in that way. We think that people want to listen to podcasts in our app because we're putting a whole list in front of you that says, if you want to learn about sports in the UK, this is where you come. We have a list on sports in the UK. Uh, if you want to learn about marine biology, pitch us a list on marine biology, then we'll have a list on marine biology. You never know. So my biggest advice is, first of all, all these podcast listening apps, including Apple and Spotify, have ways for you to promote your podcast within their app for free. And then a lot of these podcast listening apps have ways for you to pay to be 
featured on the homepage of their app. So there's really a lot of opportunities within there that people don't know about. And like I said, people are kind of just creating and then hoping, creating and then hoping. You can be very proactive once you put your podcast out and have way more ears on your show than you would by just kind of creating and hoping. What kind of cost is involved with getting put up onto Spotify and Apple's front page? So Apple does not have a paid program, as far as I know. They have an application page that folks can find. I think it's on Apple for Podcasters or something like that. But they do not make it the most accessible link for you to apply. And that's by design. They don't want everybody to flood their inboxes. Because again, like I said, it's not completely algorithmically based. They need to decide as a team, as an editorial team within what's going to go up on their homepage. And pretty looking podcast cover art is going to be favored over ugly podcast cover art. So another nod to design. Really think about what your podcast cover art looks like. Apple does not have a a paid program like that. Spotify, I believe, does. And I think their ads start at $250. So that's, you know, not too bad. But I don't know what kind of um I don't know what kind of coverage that gets you. When it comes to Castbox, I can speak to that because I know because I used to work there. Castbox is unique because they track the number of people who've subscribed to your podcast within Castbox. You know how we can never never know how many listeners another podcast gets there are a few ways to kind of tell so you know go to apple check out what their ratings and reviews looks like maybe that doesn't tell you how many listeners but it does tell you how engaged their audience is castbox when you search for a podcast on their platform it says how many people are subscribed on castbox and knowing that castbox has between three and six percent of the market share you can do some extrapolation and figure out maybe get a get sort of a sense of how many subscribers they might have overall So what CastBox does is when you do a paid campaign with them, you can decide how many subscribers you'd like to be uplifted by and you pay per subscriber. They don't take payment unless they hit your goals, your agreed upon goals. So it's really great. So I definitely recommend checking that out. And CastBox, I would like a kickback. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned that there are some free ways as well. I mean, certainly paying your way to to advertise is always, you know, it's, it's a big one. It's it's one that I think a lot of independent podcasters are hesitant to do because certainly the ROI is not yeah. coming in the other way. So there's some free options. I imagine a lot of that involves getting in touch with those people, making a strong pitch and saying, hey, this is why we want to do this. Having some type of a uh, a good reason, whether yep. either you know we're sponsored by this company or we think we're doing something special here. Can you give us maybe a little bit more insight on maybe how independent podcasters can try to to make that free pitch or, or yeah. get that free advertising? Yeah. So there's a few ways. Most of the podcast listening apps actually have a way for you to apply to be featured. CastBox, if you navigate to their website, I can share with you to put in your show notes a page that links to this. But basically, CastBox has a place where there's a few requirements that you have to hit, like number of subscribers, and they want you to put cast box in your Twitter profile or something like that, but then you can apply to be featured. And that's without having to make your pitch to them. However, finding an email address for somebody within there might put you over the edge, giving a unique reason as to why, hey, I I applied on your website, but I wanted to follow up here. That's always good and encouraged. So Castbox has that in place. Pocket Casts, as far as I know, has a publicly available email address. I think it's curation at pocketcasts.com that 
they encourage folks to apply to be put up on their homepage and, you know, giving a reason as to why that is. Maybe you have a new season coming out. Maybe you have a really great guest that you want to get some, some more ears on. And these are things that are publicly available that people don't know about. There also something to be noted is that Spotify has a really robust program called Spotify for Podcasters that gives tips for how to be potentially featured in some of their lists. And they also allow you to make artwork that uses Spotify's already existing imagery so that you can embed that onto your website so that it looks really nice. Apple allows you to do the same thing. Apple allows you to create a customized URL. You can get applepodcast.com slash your whatever you choose your URL to be. I think you, again, have to give a reason as to why you need that URL. And they may or may not choose it or they may or may not give it to you, but it's still something that you can do. And that's really convenient because then you can say, hey, to listen to this podcast, go to this really easily memorizable website. That's excellent. One thing I know we've talked about with marketing as a whole is there's really there's two paths forward. Either you put money in someone's hand or you got to do the sweat equity. Yeah. You're going to pay for it one way or another. And and that sounds like a really good option for those people that, you know, again, maybe don't want to necessarily throw around a few hundred dollars, but have the time to dedicate toward it uh, to be able to do that. And then it still requires a certain amount of luck. I mean, you know, just because you're contacting these people does not mean that they're automatically, you know, you're, you're probably one of a thousand this week. And they don't owe you anything. <laughs> exactly. Ariel, with your community manager of uh, Squadcast and Podcast Taxonomy, how important is creating a community through like Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups, even just forums? Yeah, it really depends on what your podcast is about, what your audience engagement rate is, and a whole number of factors. So with Squadcast, which is, for those who don't know, a podcast and video remote recording service, we decided to create a community. A community existed. Squadcast has been around since 2016 and has had a community of users since then. However, we decided to put a name to them in the past few months because we know that we wanted folks to get more involved in not just being squadcasters when they're recording, when they're in the sessions, but also when they are going about their everyday lives. Here is a community that you can come to to talk about your podcast, to potentially get promotion opportunities, to look for promo swaps, to look for guests, and all these kinds of things. So for us as Squadcast, it's not so much a... I'm not necessarily speaking about it from the podcast perspective right now, but I think community can be a huge way to increase your engagement and keep your engagement sustainable. We also rely on our community to help out with our podcast. So Squadcast's podcast is called Between Two Mics, the remote recording podcast. And what we have been doing lately is asking our squad pod community, that's what we call them, to submit promos of their podcast. And we're playing those at the beginning of Between Two Mics. Oh, cool. And that's just a really cool opportunity, not only for them, but also for us to say, hey, this podcast is part of our squad pod community and they record on Squadcast. And we're excited to show that off. I think naming your community is the first step if you decide you want to go all in on community, giving them a name, something that they can call themselves, something that you can call them. So we've, we've got squad pod. The way I would caution community is it's definitely a buzzword right now. Everybody is creating community, building community, engaging their community. And that's great. But if you don't have a community to engage, 
that is also okay. If you don't have time, maybe it's not your priority. Maybe content is your priority and you should really think about where your cuts need to be, where your edits need to be, where your music needs to be. And if community comes late for you, fine. I I think if you're a podcast first, you're a podcast first. If you're a community first that then has a podcast, it's a different story. I just caution against the the buzzword situation. Uh, If it's right for you, it's right for you. If it's not, it's not. I think you you don't even have to necessarily create a community. You can just get involved in already established communities. Oh, and there are so many. Where, I mean, just getting involved in conversation around topics. And if there's a specific topic that you cover in your own episode, there's a that's a great way just to link to your episode for, as a resource for, for people to come listen to that. Right. I mean, an example of a really, just a generic community that I can think of is a lot of mental health podcasts will have communities around men- their their topics because maybe they have a Facebook group where people can come and discuss those topics and not just the topics presented in that episode, but how they relate to listeners' lives. And that's great because it allows people to reflect on what they heard. Maybe it was problematic. Maybe it was something that triggered something for them. That gives them a space to discuss. However, People listen to tons of mental health podcasts. It could be that I'm subscribed to 10 of them. I'm not going to be in 10 different communities. That's a lot. I'm going to be in the best one. I'm going to be in the one that has the most engagement. And there's tactics for upping your engagement when it comes to community. But I think the best communities are ones that folks feel naturally inclined or are welcomed to contribute. Yeah, there's a certain organic aspect to a good community where where conversation kind of happens you, you maybe as a creator have to toss out a few pieces of kindling, but people kind of pick up on that and really start to expand upon that. So yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing that's, that's important to highlight and, and you kind of did a little bit is if you're unsure if a community is right for you, or if you just don't have the time to do it, there's nothing worse than a half-assed community where right. it's four people sitting there talking and it just or feels not. super exclusive yeah, or, or not. And it feels super exclusive. It feels super clicky. And it, it's so easy to go back to those high school days where we're all sitting at different lunch tables and it just feels awkward. And that can be off-putting for a lot of people, I think. So yeah, it's, it is important to do it right if you're going to do it. Or worse yet, getting all these folks into a funnel and then having them show up in a Facebook group where you're posting questions and prompts that you've heard from other groups that that is worse you know you you spent time getting these people in there they think they're going to get x y and z by joining this community but instead it's a place that has very sporadic activity on the part of the person leading the community i i think you need to really prioritize it if you're going to do it yeah yeah exactly I, i i completely agree with you on that one how do you feel about moderation within a community i mean i i think we see it sometimes Reddit, I think, is a great example of this, where you see some subreddits that are super curated, super moderated, and that has its positives and its negatives. But then you have other ones that are like the wild, wild west and also has its positives and its negatives. Yeah. Do you think that you kind of need as a podcaster to have a more heavy hand with that stuff? Or do you think it's kind of a you let the situations play out and then see where you need to intervene and do that or have separate moderators if your community is large enough. So the way the squad pod community works is right now, the main place that we communicate is on Slack. And what we did pretty early on is establish 
several sub channels, I think is what they're, or back channels within Slack. Those channels range in topic from promo swaps to guest swaps. We've got general random beta testers and things like that. Some are private, some are not. We've even got squad pod leaders that the folks who have kind of established themselves as leaders within our community are hanging out in. And that's where we go to ask them if they want to moderate a clubhouse session or if they want to help lead a Zoom session, something like that. If somebody posts in one of the channels that is not about about self-promo, about their own podcast, I'll lightly say to them, hey, would you mind posting this in the channel that's dedicated to this kind of post? Great, not a problem. I think that's early, that's important to establish early on so that it doesn't get messy because I think the worst kind of place is where I've seen Facebook groups that are self-promo after self-promo after self-promo. I (laughs) do not care. I already listen to 5,000 podcasts. Most people in this group already listen to 5,000 podcasts or spend all their time on their own podcast. That is not why they're in that group. I cannot imagine that people are scrolling through these Facebook groups and they're like, oh, let me listen to every podcast that is promoted by somebody else. (laughs) I mean, uh, of their own show. That's not interesting. I do believe in, in moderation of these community groups because I think or else it becomes a self-promo fest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. We've all seen those types of Facebook groups where it's just, yeah, it's just one after the other. And, and you're hundred percent right. It's those pitches Who, never land. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've never been on Facebook to look for a podcast to find and certainly not a one liner of like, you should listen to my podcast. Yeah. Here's and you're the not link. even telling me anything about <laughs> yeah. it. You're just saying. New episode out now of what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Who are you and why should I care? Right. That's, I mean, that's marketing as a whole. Uh, that's community engagement as a whole is who are you and why should I care is something you should always be practicing whenever starting to, to kind of promote your podcast. All right. Podcast taxonomy. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is and maybe what the benefits are for independent podcasters out there? Yeah. Podcast Taxonomy is a group that started forming approximately a year ago and publicly announced in the latter half of 2020. The idea behind it is that there are so many roles that go into the process of producing a podcast. And those roles are not standardized across the industry. So Taxonomy is essentially a naming system. That's what taxonomy means. So we talk about taxonomies for... I actually was listening to a podcast recently that was talking about how we need taxonomies for celebrity apologies. Is it like the... (laughs) (laughs) Is it like the the legit apology? Is it the I'm just covering my ass apology? You know, that kind of thing. So that would be a, a celebrity apology taxonomy. We're talking about the podcast taxonomy. And right now it's an international consortium of podcast groups and podcasters and podcast adjacent companies that are coming together to create a recognized naming of podcast roles. And the reason we're doing that is because, again, it it just hasn't been defined. So producers can essentially be anything. If, If you ask somebody what a podcast producer does, it could be a different answer all over the world. It could be a different answer within a network. And so the idea behind it is that if enough people sign on to this, we can kind of have a standardization and then we can have a 
standardization when it comes to recognition for people. That's a big part of it is, you know, getting people to be recognized, whether it's in show notes or in on Podchaser or whether it's credits at the end of a podcast, things like that. You know, when you ask somebody in the film industry, what does a producer do? People know what that means. People talk about it. They know what it means. When you ask somebody what a script supervisor does in film or TV, they know what that means. We don't really have the answers there when it comes to podcasting. So let's have the answers there when it comes to podcasting. And how it benefits indie podcasters is a little bit different because when you're an indie podcaster, you're often doing it all. All, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But Podchaser is working on a way to have these roles toggleable in their platform so that you can recognize yourself or recognize the people that work with you on your podcast in these roles. And then that really helps when it comes to, especially if you're a freelancer, potentially getting other gigs within that taxonomy or within that system. Can you give us a couple examples of the top role designations? Like you said, the producer, I I imagine audio editor would probably be one. Yeah. Yeah. So host, co-host, guest host, these are all different, you know, there's a fact checker, research assistant, research supervisor, you know, it really can go all over the place. And um, a podcast that might have a lot of these roles covered is like a podcast like NPR's Throughline that does a lot of research. It's really highly produced. They probably have somebody creating original music. They probably have somebody doing sound effects. They have interviewees. They have guest hosts at times. They'll have, they'll probably have a script supervisor. They'll probably have a, an editor of the script and they'll probably have an editor of the podcast. They'll have a post production editor, everything. And it's amazing. These companies that have the resources to pay for all of these different people, that's not the case everywhere. Again, like I said, indie podcasters are more likely to be doing all of it, all of it. Yeah. or skipping some of it because it's just not that important and that's okay too. Like you said, it is similar to to a uh, huge film production with all their with all their listing of titles, and they have so many more. I mean, yeah. they have AD one, AD two, yep. and I don't. I only know about these things. I don't know much about film and TV, but I listen to the Scrubs rewatch podcast, and they talk about these kinds of things. Yep. Learning so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's something I know we've talked about internally over here. Is that podcasting is still. I mean, it's still in its infancy. We talk about the numbers of podcasts that are out there. We talk about the huge networks. We talk about all that stuff, but it still really is. I think as a medium, people are really trying to figure out what needs to go into it, what needs to happen. And part of it is, like you mentioned, the standardization of roles, the standardization of credit in those roles, all of that stuff eventually ends up leading to more monetization, just a medium that then gets more recognition as being more professional, which I think is is totally needed for podcasting as a whole. So that's that's an awesome thing that uh, that you guys are doing. Thank you. Yeah. And more to come. What's involved with the partnership with Podcast Taxonomy? Yeah. So right now we are working on continuously updating our white paper, okay. which defines these terms. But we also recognize that a lot of the people who are at the top levels right now of podcast taxonomy making decisions are from the larger podcast companies. So we have a community of people who are not part of those large companies who are helping us relate those terms to indie podcasters and making sure that this doesn't work just for the funded podcast, just for the 
podcasts that are part of networks just for the NPRs, the Spotify's, things like that, but also for the everyday podcaster, like we said. Becoming a partner just means you're signing on to this, these definitions and using them. And the idea is to get Apple to use them. The idea is to get Spotify to use them, but it's also to get a network in Ohio who has 10 podcasts about Dungeons and Dragons to use it as well. Awesome. So do you see something like uh, an IMDB type of page being put together where where everybody that is a a fact checker or a, a research assistant can be placed on this and you can see all the podcasts that they've worked on? That would be ideal, but that's also something that's available within Podchaser. So okay. that's really where we're prioritizing it, mostly because Podchaser is one of the founding members of Podcast Taxonomy. Let's talk a little bit more about Squadcast. Happy to. Very happy to. And an awesome service. Obviously, we talked about the community aspect of Squadcast, but can you tell us a little bit more about the service as a whole and, and um, you know, maybe maybe some of the listeners out there why they would need Squadcast or why yeah. they should switch over? Totally. Well, first, let me say that before I worked for Squadcast, I used them for about six months. So I was a super fan even before I applied for the job there. So whatever I say is not salesy. Let me just preface that. I just genuinely love the service. So Squadcast is a remote podcast and video recording service that makes it really, really easy for you to record a podcast or video or whatever kind of remote content you want by just clicking a link, joining a session and recording. My favorite part of Squadcast is that it records each of your guests on a separate track. And then if you want to, right there within Squadcast, you can mix those files or you can keep it separate for editing in your editing software of choice. I am a big fan of remote recording in general, not just because of the pandemic. I think it allows us to record with people that we haven't, that we will never meet. It allows us to record with people all over the world and just it's as simple as clicking a button and being in a session with them. Yes, I think people will start returning to studios to a certain extent, but I do not think that podcasts will be able to give up on the idea that, you know, some of their guests can be all over the world. You're not going to give up um, your dream guests just because they can't come into the studio with you. So I think we're going to continue to see remote content production surge and stay steady in the coming years. During the pandemic, have you guys seen any like bandwidth issues with the amount of people doing remote recording? Not so much issues. I know at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw a huge spike in customers. As the community manager, I'm not too skilled in the technical aspect of it. So I wouldn't necessarily know about bandwidth. But I will say my sessions have always been top notch. The one thing that I we really liked about Squadcast when we did use it is the we like the green room feature. Yeah, and, and that's going to get even better. Actually, we are awesome. releasing version four hopefully at the end of the month or early June. We're in beta testing right now, and we have a feature coming within the green room where you can record seven seconds of to test your audio and video and then play it back. Oh, that's and cool. um, yeah, it's going to be really cool. That's a, I mean, another feature that I like about Squadcast is the, the higher recording quality as far as like the sample rate and everything compared to Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. It always sounds great. So I have a podcast 
it's called counter programming. And uh, each episode, we focus on a different count or counter. So Count Dracula, Count Von Count, Count Chocula. Oh, neat. Countertops. <laughs> we've done we've done deep That's dives awesome. into granite, steel, marble, and wood. Very ridiculous. <laughs> People often think my co-host and I are in the same room. And no, it's just a Squadcast. It's Squadcast Studios, baby. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. I was saying, one of the things that I, I like, and I mean, especially for independent podcasters that may not have a ton of the technical knowledge or it makes it accessible by having all of those features in one spot. You don't need to record multiple different things. You don't need to to do this, that, and export and do this. It just it makes life a lot easier to have it all in one location. It's a fantastic product. Yeah, and a lot of guests who may not have ever been on a podcast before don't know to download QuickTime or Audacity and set themselves up to create a backup. But Squadcast nope. Nope. is just a link that you, you know, you click onto and you're ready to go. And in addition to the recording, we're recording a backup so that if for some reason you lose it because of another super storm that comes to town and knocks out your internet, we have a backup for you. That's exactly what happened with us when we were doing this. The first Squadcast recording is we weren't running a backup and we got to the end of it, press stop. And there was no file. I was just like, what? It was like, oh my gosh, we lost our whole, our whole session. But that's, you know, lessons learned. The primary thing that we've kind of learned with, with using all the recording apps is that it's a good way to communicate visually between each other, but to have the, the quality of the backup there to use. I guess that the primary thing that, to use this for is so you can visually see each other and, and communicate and have those cues between each other i think that's right yeah that's why even before squadcast had the ability to record video there was always the ability to look at each other for the visual cues yeah yeah i think there's a huge opportunity for remote content production beyond just the podcast space i think in-person studios are great but they take so much bandwidth and they take so much people power yep and if you can have a decent setup in your home it doesn't have to be super quiet. It doesn't have to be super beautiful. <laughs> you can create incredible looking and sounding videos and audio that will more than suffice. And I think that's the future. Agreed. The accessibility of podcasting compared to a lot of other mediums is is great. We're seeing people not just create podcasts. We're seeing people create videos that are now being uploaded to YouTube and receiving tens of thousands of downloads all from Squadcast. And that's very exciting that we're able to facilitate that. It's like I said, we, we've talked about it a, a lot on our end of just, I, you know, I think we're, we're just now seeing what podcasting can truly become from a, a storytelling medium, from a news medium, from a, a video format. Uh, it's exciting. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes over the next few years as more money starts to get invested in it and, and software options like Squadcast become better and bigger and meet new needs and do things like that. It's it's such an exciting time to be in on the very ground floor of something that in 10 years will be what blogging is now. And as we start to push things like radio and, and traditional television more aside, as we kind of get into these things, I, I'm I'm super excited for what the the platform's going to bring 
how do you think the pandemic has progressed the remote recording industry? At the beginning, huge influx of new customers who were prior recording in studios and then couldn't and quickly needed to amend their workflow so that they were able to record remotely with guests. That obviously, that in influx of customers plateaued because the pandemic, you know, you know, we got those podcasts onboarded. They're good to go. They're recording there. But we still consistently see more and more people signing up every month. And that's really an amazing testament to number one, how many people are finding the medium of podcasting? Yep. And number two, how many people are valuing remote recording? And I think that that will continue. And I am excited to be at a company that is assessing and making easier the future of work. That's that's a great way to put it. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, that's <laughs> fantastic. Well, thanks for that amazing deep dive on community, on independent podcasts, on networks and and promos and all the different things that that independent podcasters can do and where where the the medium's going. Uh, that was an amazing conversation, Ariel. And and if people want to find you, uh, how can they get a hold of you on social media or or any other places? Absolutely. I am at arielnissenblatt.com. That's pretty easy. Maybe not, actually. <laughs> <Nissenblatt. laughs> um, yeah. If you're ever confused about how to pronounce my last name, it's Nissenblatt. Sounds like this and that. I am on Instagram at Ariel this and that, and I am on Twitter at Ari this and that. So those, maybe that's easier. And um, I'm also the person behind Squadcast social media. So you are talking to a real person and I have feelings. So be nice. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, we'll include all of those in the uh, show notes, the links there. So fantastic, Ariel. I I appreciate your time doing this with us. And uh We'll undoubtedly have you on again sometime soon to talk about uh, maybe a, a deeper dive on things like social media and newsletters uh, specifically. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Aria. Well, that was a fantastic episode. And, and you know what, John? I mean, I learned some things in there. Uh, I'm sure you did as well. Uh, Ariel coming in with hot with some, some great information. Yeah. Uh, her points on social media not being the end all you know for podcast audience growth was on point yeah i mean it's something that i think at the very least for myself i take for granted that people already understand this that that yeah i mean social media barring you doing ads and getting more likes and follows that then you can potentially advertise to through social media but recognizing that that there is really no conversion it's it's kind of a makeshift community to a certain degree it's people that already like you, that are already interested. You're putting out content that they can further digest and further engage with, but you're not necessarily going to take that person that's following you on Instagram and get them to download. Arguably, they already should be because they're already following you in that regard, but she's 100% right that if, if you're scrolling around on Instagram, the last thing you're thinking is, okay, cool, I saw this graphic. Let me now open up my podcast app and start listening to this podcast. That's not very likely to happen. All you're really doing is doing more brand awareness than anything else. Uh, a reminder that, hey, we have an episode that we exist. That's exactly right. I mean, we've already mentioned that in a couple of our previous podcasts. It's not going to be one for one. Every like is not going to be a download. I mean, to your point on the going through your social media, 
I know Facebook has added a feature now that you can actually go through and save podcast segments to view at a later time. So that might start to help with the discoverability through social media, but we can get into that on another episode. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, again, we, we talked about it a few times with Ariel, but it's it, podcasting is still very much in its infancy and we'll see it grow in some of these ways over the next handful of years as social media starts recognizing it and, and its importance and starts trying to become a better way to discover things. We'll see those those types of things start to happen. So just because it's not necessarily 100% true right now doesn't mean that that will be the case in 2022 or 2023. So it's an ever evolving landscape that is worth paying attention to as it continues to evolve uh, when it comes to that stuff. And I think the overall theme, if we were to pick one out, and this is one that is usually the case with marketing, is you can pay money to have a better shot to up your chances, or you're going to have to put in that sweat equity. You're going to have to dig around for emails. You're going to have to create those connections and, and have it be organic. It sounds like a lot of hard work and it is a lot of hard work, but for an independent podcaster, if you're willing to put in that time, if you're willing to put in that effort, you will get results on the back end, which is exciting to a certain degree because let's be real, not everybody puts in that hard work and not everyone puts in that money. So if you can be a part of that small group that does above and beyond and, and, and does those things, you too can have a really successful podcast. So get out there, create your community, get on social media, further engage with people there. And then John, if you don't want to do any of that sweat equity, I get it. I get it. Believe me, I'm lazy sometimes too. Who can you call? You can call Ghostbusters. No. You can contact us, queued up at uh, qd-up.com, info at qdup.com or through any of our social channels. Yeah, as always, DMs are open. Feel free to hit us up. Engage with some of our social media since we were just talking about that. Let's build a little community up in in like Instagram and Facebook and the like uh, of just share your tips and tricks. Share some of the things that you've done maybe as a podcaster to create a community around your stuff uh, and maybe share some of your tips and tricks on how you were able to become a little bit more discoverable in these uh, various apps that are out there. Give us your thoughts and collections on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 